Well, good morning. I am glad you are here, and we have Family Sunday, and I need to talk. I need to talk to the kids. Can I get your attention, please? How many of you? Okay, your parents make you eat vegetables, and you don't like it. Can I, can I see a show of hands? Okay, Dre, I appreciate that honesty. Dre, are you eating your vegetables? You do it. Okay, you don't like it either. Okay, all right, that's good. Okay, I appreciate your honesty. You got to eat those vegetables. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal with vegetables. You ready for this? It causes good stuff to happen where you can't see inside your body. Those, those things have antioxidants, and you want to get antioxidants. You need those antioxidants. That'll keep you from getting cancer someday, hopefully, and it'll give you vitamins. It'll help you grow. It'll give you some, some uh, roughage, some fiber that will help with digestion. And, and so there's just, in places you can't see, there's real value to eating your vegetables. Don't you feel good? Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear that, Dre? Aren't you glad? You can eat your vegetables now? But you know, when we talk about faith, like those vegetables, there is good stuff going on in places we can't see. It is producing some stuff inside of us, in our spirit, in our being. And I want to talk about that today. So if you got a Bible, if you'd open that to uh, Romans 5, 1 to 21, and we're going to go through this, and we're going to ask this question, what does faith in Christ produce in us? What does it produce in us? Now, as Cody mentioned, we are working on a series that is, is uh, based off this book by Mike Hendricks, and um, really laying down the gospel, the foundation of that. And then Cody also mentioned on the North Point Community Highlights that I'm going to be talking about a launch class that I'm going to start next Sunday evening. We're going to take kind of the last eight lessons in this book, and that's really how to develop this relationship with God. I want to talk about that. What happens when we blow it? And, and we all do. As Christians, we all do. What has God given us? Who is the Holy Spirit? Where does he come into play? And, and, and these are the kind of things that how we continue to walk forward and grow in our relationship with Christ. Uh, we grow in our friendships. We grow in our marriage. We grow in our working relationships. Well, we can grow in a relationship with Christ, and, and I want to talk about that more. So, boy, if that's of interest to you, please uh, check out, sign up for the launch class. Uh, it'll be based on this book, and, and we'll start that next Sunday evening. Well, our passage opens this way. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith. And that justified, that's kind of a theological term. Let me explain this. Justified is just as if I had never sinned. That's an easy way to remember it. So though we are sinners... Because we've been justified by Christ, we appear before God because we're in him, and he looks at us just as if we'd never sinned. We've got a righteousness that we're cloaked in that doesn't come from us. We've done nothing to earn it. That's what one of the things faith in Christ does. Uh, maybe the best way I can example that, uh, explain that is when I was a little boy, I played in this um, basketball team, be a rec league basketball team. And I made a friend, and the friend's dad was the coach, and they were a very well-to-do family. And they belonged to an exclusive club. And I remember I got invited as a guest one day. And man, we, this restaurant, everything was free, and they, they served me just, what is your need? What is it you want? They treated me like a super rich person, but I wasn't a super rich person, but I got the benefits of a super rich person because I was their guest. 
Okay, so, so we get the benefits of Jesus' sinlessness because we're in him. We have faith in him. We have been justified. God the Father looks at us just as if we'd never sinned. We're justified how? By faith. And because of that faith, we have peace with God. Uh, peace is a lack of conflict, but it's more than that in this case. It's a harmonious well-being. Before Jesus, we were in conflict with God because we had rebelled against him. He wanted to be our rightful ruler. We said no. There was a consequence to that. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and because of that, we are in relationship. We have peace with God. Faith is the mechanism. Faith triggers that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into disgrace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. At one time, sometime in the future, we're going to see the fullness of God's glory. He's coming back. For now, we have a down payment. We have a relationship with him. We're going to experience that in full. Imagine, if you could, if you were a a prisoner of war during World War II, uh, an allied prisoner held by the Germans. And you get word that the allied offensive is moving forward. And they are closing in on Germany, and it's just a matter of time before the Third Reich is going to be crushed and all the prisoners are going to be set free. How much would you be looking forward to the allied invasion of Germany? How would it change your perspective to know that you won't be a prisoner forever because the allied forces are, are, are moving forward? That's the kind of hope we have. Because God has set us free, and we have a guarantee that he is coming back, and we exalted that. We are people that hope. And as we talked about last week, hope in the New Testament is not like, ah, I hope they win. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. No, hope is a done deal. And we exalt in this. Our faith then produces within us peace and hope. Our faith in Christ gives us peace and hope. Like those vegetables give us antioxidants and fiber and stuff we need for physical health, faith in Christ gives us what we need for spiritual health, peace and hope. Now we think, great, we got peace and hope. Everything will be fine. Everything will be great. Uh, that's not the case. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exalt in tr- our tribulations. So we're going to continue to have hard times, knowing that the tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, because he's in control and he's sovereign, sees our tribulations. He doesn't pull them pull us out of them, but he works in them, and it starts a sequence. Perseverance perseverance leads to proven character. What would we give to be people of proven character? You know, I I talk to a number of people in this church uh, who own businesses, and it it doesn't matter what the business is. And you know what what they're lacking most? Employees who will show up. I'm hiring you to be here from 8 to 5. I, I can't got to count on you to be there at 8. I, I, can't, I can't count on that. Andy, I can't find people to do it. 
And I can fire them, but then I've got to hire somebody else. Talk with the guy today. We're, we're going to have to go outside our company to make a hire because we don't have people within proven character. God is at work in our hard times developing our character and bringing us to a, a people of, of hope. You know, one of the privileges I have as a pastor, and it is a privilege, is to sit with people and families of people who are dying. Okay? The cancer's gone too far. The, 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 the stroke has happened, and there's not going to be a recovery. And, and a lot of times, the, I'm, I'm sitting with the family, and, and the person is, is not even responsive. They're just waiting for the person to die. But because these are people of faith in Jesus, they are people of hope. Are they sad? You bet. You bet they're sad. But do they despair? No, they do not. Because they understand there's a hope in one who has overcome death. And, and, and see, the, the hope we see in tribulations, it's, it's, it's a taste, it's a foretaste of the hope we have that Jesus has overcome death. So, you know, lest I think, boy, being a Christian, it's just a, a free walk, you get it easy. No, no, there will be hard times. But there is a sovereign God who's in control of this saying, if you will trust me, I will work in this to develop perseverance, and I will develop your character, and ultimately, I will give you hope. Now, again, this is found in Jesus. Let me read verses 6 through 8, and we talk about this love Jesus has for us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. You know, we we might respect a, a good person, but die for him? I don't know about that. I'd be, that's a pretty, well, that's what Jesus did. But it's not even that we were good in his sight. Here's the, the transition, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't good. We weren't righteous. We were spitting in his face. We were shaking our fist at him. You go your way. Don't tell me how to live my life. Christ said, I'll die for you, even in rebellion to you. And God sees us in Christ, and he promises us his favor. You know, when I was uh, 19 years old, I was a sophomore. I was a chemical engineering major, and um, I was working at a gas plant. And they would pay this ridiculous wage to, in the hope it, that they, you'd come back and work for them when you graduated. And so I was in the, the plant, and I was work. I was, like I said, I was 19. I was working with men who were 50 and 60, and I, they, were, they were okay with me, but they realized I'm going to go sit in my air-conditioned university for two more years, and I could come back and be the plant manager. So there was a little bit of snotty-nosed kid. And I'm, I'm talking with these guys, and I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I, I, I say, do you have kids? Yeah, well, they're this and this. And then, and then uh, do you have grandkids? Remember, this is pre-phone. Do I have grandkids? Let me show you the pictures. And they start telling me about their 14-year-old in there. And they just think, these grandkids, I mean, they, they just put everything they have into these kids. Why these kids in particular? Because they're kids of their kids. 
you, you talk to a grandparent, and, then, and this baby, this, this teenager is just, well, what's so special about them? They're, they're a, a son of my son, or they're a son of my daughter. Well, if a grandparent is that responsive to a grandchild, how much more is God the Father with people who are in his son? And, and this son died for us. And, 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 and because of that, God the Father wants to bestow his favor on people who are in Jesus. Let's go on talking about this, verse 9. But much more than having now been justified in his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus. So I was six years old. We moved from the Boston area to the Detroit area. We rented a house. And there was a little boy my age right across the fence. So I could hop the fence and go over there, and we'd play basketball, and we'd shoot hoops. We're, we're about six weeks in, eight weeks in, and my little brother, who's three years younger, so he's four, Yells something one day across the mom's, uh, at the fence at the mom. It's an ugly word. And all of a sudden, it's like our family is persona non grata. So I see my little friend, my age, who I used to play basketball with, but I, I can't, because of what's going on, I, I'm part of this family, I can't go across that fence. It was a four-foot fence, but it must, might as well have been 50 feet high. Well, that spring, I don't know if it's, we moved in February, if it's April or May or June, I don't remember. But my dad is out working, and their dad's in the backyard. And my dad reaches across the fence and says, hey, I'm John McFarland. And he goes, hey, I'm Lenny Bartashevis. And they start talking, talking, talking. And he invites my dad over, and I go over with my dad. And all of a sudden, the fence comes down, if you will. And for the next six years until we moved, I was probably over at his house five days a week. But it was a reconciliation that I didn't work. My dad worked that reconciliation, and I was the beneficiary of that. Do you understand? We have been separated. We're on the other side of the fence from God. And that fence might as well be 50 feet high. But Jesus has reached across the fence in dying on the cross and opened that up. So Paul wants to highlight what this Jesus has done for this. And he's going to do it starting in verse 12 with this contrast with with Adam and Jesus. And here's what it says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So so what Paul's going to do is he said, you know, sin came in through one person. And he's going to move to reconciliation also came in through one person. But before that, he's a little ADD. He gets on a tangent and talks about Adam and Moses, verses 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even for those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type who was to come. So the Jews said, well, well, you you know, we didn't really recognize sin until until the law was given to Moses. Adam and Eve were created, and then there was a gap of time, and God goes into relationship, and he gives the law to Moses. Well, what about that? And, and Paul said, here's the deal. The law just exposed the reality. Sin, the rebellion was always there. The law just made it known. So, you're having symptoms. 
you go into the see the doctor, and the doctor does a biopsy of the lump, and he, he said, uh, yeah, it, it's cancer. It's not like you got cancer right then. The biopsy confirmed what, what has been going on for a while. You've had cancer. We, we've just diagnosed it. And, and that's what the law did. Paul said, you know, the, the law didn't make us sin. It just exposed the reality. We're in rebellion to God. And that rebellion started through Adam, but it was solved in Jesus Christ. But Verse 15, the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. So yet through one person, Adam, sin came in and condemned many. So by one person does reconciliation with God. Now there's a difference. Verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in the condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transactions, resulting in justification. So Paul's saying, look, Adam, one sin, and and it it spread to others. Jesus came, it had already spread, it was all over, and he had to die for these transactions, but but the reconciliation came through one person. And so once, there's there's a bit of a difference there. But here's, here's the conclusion. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ. So in one sense, we were condemned through Adam. In one sense, we were to receive life through Jesus. Just, just a transition is there to say, life that was ruined in Adam is reconciled in Jesus. Now, I hear a lot of people say, well, Andy, you know, that, that's just not fair, you know, that, that I got tagged with Adam's sin and and, and it, I, just, I just don't accept that, and I'm, I'm not going to deal with it. And so let me, let me give you a little bit of my family medical history. Both of my grandpas died by a stroke. At 70 years old, my dad had a serious debilitating stroke. So when I go into the doctor's office, what do you think they're looking at? Possible symptoms for what? For stroke. You know, if I just get mad, you know, I, you know, I just think that, that's not fair, that's, that's stupid, that's not fair that I draw to that, I'm just, I'm just not going to accept that, I'm going to reject that. I'm an idiot if I do that. I ought to be put on notice. I have got a health history. It's with some medical professionals, we're working to see if we can reduce risk so I don't have a stroke. That seems like a good idea, don't you think? Hey, you and I have drawn to a spiritual history. We have got, we have taken on Adam's sin. We're in rebellion to God. Wouldn't it be good to see if we could do something about it rather than deny the reality? It's true. And we can gripe and we can cry about it and we can talk, well, how did it happen? But it isn't going to do me any good. What happened with my parents? What happened with my grandparents? That's a futile conversation. So it is with sin. The reality is you've drawn to it and so have I. By nature, we rebel against God. The good news is there's a solution for this. The one, Jesus Christ. And where you and I were living in rebellion to God, he, through our faith, brings peace and hope. I think that's worth celebrating. Verses 18 and 19, then. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. For as though the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even through the obedience of one, the
and many will be made righteous. There is a solution for your disobedience and Adam's disobedience. It's the obedience of Jesus. He believed and trusted in the Father right up to the point he died on the cross. And if you will trust in him, he will bring you peace and he will bring you hope. He will reconcile your relationship with God. He will leave you justified, just as if you had never sinned. Unless we think we can do it on our own, Paul addresses that in verses 20 and 21. He says, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Again, once we know the law, we realize we're available, we're, we're aware, we sin. But where the sin increased, grace abounded all, all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, God didn't give us his law as a means of salvation. God gave us law so we could know we're sinners and know we need a solution. The law is the biopsy. It says, you got cancer. You need to do something about it. People go, no, 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 no. I'm going to try and do it on my own. I'm going to try and do it by following the law. So let me do a little experiment with you. I've got this book, and it's kind of secret, and I say to you, don't look. Don't look. What do you want to do? You want to look? That's right. I tell you don't do something, and what do you want to do? You want to do it? That's what the law does. Don't do this. We, it fosters sin. It fosters rebellion because there's something wrong with our nature. Jesus has come to change our nature that we're not rebellious, that we live in submission to God. He gives us peace, harmonious well-being, and he gives us hope. And those are the two things that are in short supply. Do you guys remember, the, those of you who are old enough to remember the Gulf War, the first Gulf War? It went about as well as it could for the Allied forces. And I remember when the ground attack happened, it seemed like that was over in a matter of days. And there were embedded reporters, and they were with a unit that got in, and they, and they said, you know, a ceasefire's been declared. Soldier, what do you think? And I remember him saying, isn't peace great? He had been fighting for a week. And like I said, it, this, in terms of casualties, this was a low. This, this went well for the Allies. But his attitude was, wasn't peace great? Jesus has brought peace with God. I have a friend, he said, Andy, I was on about the third wave in the Gulf War. Man, we didn't have much resistance. Still, he lost a buddy. And he posts about this buddy once a year on Facebook. He won't remember. They were Marines, Semper Fi. When there's peace, when there's conflict, people get hurt. People die. When things are wrong with God, there's consequences. Jesus has come to bring us peace, harmonious well-being with God. He's come to bring us hope. I'm a college football fan, and I look on the board, the rivals board about Michigan, and, the, and it could be any school, and they talk about these recruits in 2000, class of 2021 and 2022 and 2023, and I thought, I just refuse to read that far ahead. These, these kids are still in high school. But people pay for this, and I think, what are they selling? Well, they're selling hope. My team stunk this year, the Wolverines, the Huskers, whoever. 
but, but there's hope in this high school sophomore or junior, and people will pay for that. They'll buy that to, to maybe, this kid hasn't even committed. But that's how desperate we are for hope. Just take one slice of life. Jesus has given us hope, and it's in God. And I would suggest peace and hope come no other place. As a boy, uh, or young man, I guess, one of the big events of my young adulthood was the Camp David Peace Accord in September 1978. A Menachem Begin from Israel and Anwar Sadat met with Jimmy Carter to hammer out this treaty. And this was historic. I mean, these people coming in, it was on the TV, and this was going to bring peace to the Middle East. Finally, we had got the sides talking. This was going to bring peace. September of 1978. Let me ask you, those of you who are following the news, how's that working out in the Middle East? Anwar Sadat was shot. There were people so opposed to it. I'm not down on these men. I appreciate their courage, but you ain't going to bring peace until you change the human heart. And humanity has got all kinds of efforts in all kinds of ways. And what I'm telling you is the creator of the universe wants to give you and wants to give me both peace and hope. We can't find him anyplace else, but we can find them in him. What does our faith in Jesus produce? It produces peace and hope. Let me pray. I'll invite the worship team up to close us out. So, Lord, we're grateful that you do offer peace and hope. Uh, that's something that escapes us. It eludes us. Humanity tries, and it doesn't succeed. But you're all-powerful. You're the creator, and you can bring what we can't attain. Thank you for Jesus that makes it possible. In Christ's name, amen.